Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm, brought to you by FunkinStuff.net. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. G.X. Wolfine, musicologist, creative arts journalist, and multimedia pro. Whether you're watching the video version of this show or the audio-only podcast version, I thank you so much for your continued interest and support in this show. If you enjoy this programming, there are several ways to help support Truth and Rhythm, as well as contribute to further enhancements and expansion, plus get some sweet perks and rewards in the process. First, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Second, join Truth and Rhythm's new membership program through Patreon, which features three tiers for truth believers, truth seekers, and truth crusaders. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkinstuff.net. At that site, which is loaded with awesome content, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. Sponsorship opportunities are available as well. Contact me directly at scottg at funkinstuff.net. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. I'm delighted to welcome to the Truth and Rhythm Mothership original members of one of the most popular R&B funk bands of the 1980s, Ready for the World. Storming out of the gate hey. in 1985 with their platinum-selling, self-titled debut album, the group scored 10 R&B Top 30 hits, including the charts-topping crossover smash, Oh Sheila. Other popular dance and slow jams included Digital Display, Love You Down, Tonight, Deep Inside Your Love, My Girlie, He Can Do It Like This, can, He Can Do It Like That. Can he do it like this? Yeah. Can he do it like that? Yeah, that's the part in parentheses, but it, either way you can, it's a jam. <laughs> Thank you. RFTW dropped a new single a couple years back and continues to deliver thrilling live shows. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me. How are you? Good, good. good. So Thanks uh, for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Um, let's uh, have you guys introduce yourselves and uh, tell the people, you know, what you did in the group. So let's start with Willie. Okay. My name is Willie Triplett. Uh, I sing do percussions, and I play keyboards. And hello, I'm Gerald Valentine, the drummer, producer, writer. <laughs> Whatever the party calls for. <laughs> yeah, I'm the main drummer. 
<laughs> Excellent. Yeah, we got the rhythm guys for Truth and Rhythm today, so that's a beautiful thing. Um, yes, sir. Where are you guys coming to us from today? Willie, where are you at? I'm out uh, in Pensacola, Florida today. Just enjoying the sun, the nice weather. It's been real hot here. Uh, it rains on and off, but uh, I'm enjoying it. And home is Atlanta, right? So you're just on a um, trip there. That is correct. Home is Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Been there since 2003, and I'm not going back. All right. <laughs> well, I'm your southern neighbor here in Charlotte, so that's awesome. a cool thing. Yeah. Gerald, where are you today? Are you in Charlotte, North Carolina? Yeah. Okay. And my son just moved there about a couple of weeks ago. But um, yeah, I'm in Flint, Michigan still. Okay. So uh, a homebody, right? Yes, sir. And a nice weather today. It ain't cold. It ain't hot. It's in the middle. That, that Michigan weather. Gotta love that. Um, so, you know, I was just telling um, Willie before we were on the air that, um, you know, it's so th- much of a thrill to have you guys on because I was disc jockeying in the 80s and 90s and I wore out those extended versions of, you know, digital display and O'Shea and even love you down. So, so cool to have you on and been wanting to do this for a while. So thank you, gentlemen. Oh, you're welcome. We appreciate you spending our records for, you know, so long, especially back then when we were trying to, you know, uh, get established in the whole bit. So we appreciate the DJs like yourself. Oh, yeah. yeah. Especially those extended versions, man. You know, the, yeah. Man. Yeah. Those were kept some the fun folks records. on the dance floor. Yeah. yeah. Those were some great records. Yeah. Yeah. I was glad Timeless. to have some, some funk that crossed over so I could, you know, get away <laughs> with it with any crowd, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's jump right in. So, Flint, Michigan, where you still are, Gerald, you guys are from there. Um, what was it like growing up, you know, and how did y'all gravitate towards music? I guess well, I can start off. No, go yeah, ahead, Joe. I was just going to say, you know, yeah, we started back in the 80s, the mid 80s, I would say. Um, I was playing drums uh, and I was with the guy that played the bass. It was just two of us <clears throat> doing music and doing uh, talent shows and arts festivals and things like that. And um, came across some other guys that was doing talent shows and they were in their own little group, and that's pretty much how we met through doing talent shows. And Gordon and Melvin was in a group, and uh, Willie had this thing going. He can tell you about that. But yeah, we just met, you know, doing talent shows. And Melvin and Willie, I mean, uh, Melvin and Gordon, got us all together to form a group. Well, and Gerald, what made is, you de- what made you decide on drums? As a kid growing up, uh, I came out playing drums. Uh, I remember growing up as a kid, I used to be in my mom's sink playing the sink because the, you know, the sink has different semitones in it. So I would play inside the sink. I would pull out her pots and pans and use her cooking utensils, the wooden cooking utensils, and be like bam, bam. And from there, it just gravitated to marching bands. And I was in the drum corps and, you know, things like that. And then I became, then I went to Grambling. I did go to Grambling University. Uh, it's an HBU college. I played drums there, and we got a call to come back and do a record. So I came back and did a record. But yeah, drums has been my life. It's my inspiration. It's my everything. Who were who a couple of your heroes on drums? Uh, I have to say uh, Cameo, Larry Blackman, uh, Phil Collins, 
uh, Stuart Copeland, the name of you. Well, that's some good diverse, you know, funk and rock right there. Oh yeah. Willie, what about you? Sure. I um, started in music uh, at the age of seven. My parents bought, uh, had brothers. So my parents brought us instruments. Uh, uh, they got me a set of drums. So I kind of went two paths, uh, basically playing by ear with drums and then going through school all throughout elementary, junior high, high school. I played the brass instruments such as I started off with the trumpet, went to French horn, then baritone. Um, and yes, uh, we all met, you know, performing against each other in high school talent shows. I didn't know I was being recruited at the time, but we were, you know, <laughs> basically just trying to add guys to our existing band. And so, you know, I guess just something sprung from that uh, through John Eaton. But yeah, I, I kind of went two paths with reading music and playing by ear uh, in street bands, uh, starting with my family band. And who were some of your favorite artists growing up? Um, as far as trumpet, uh, Chuck Mangione. Um, I listened to all of the big bands in terms of, you know, their horn sections, Cameo, Earth, Wind and Fire, um, the Commodores, you know, whoever had a horn section, I was listening to them. Um, and as, in terms of drummers, I just more so gravitated toward, you know, those different feels like um, what co the Commodores put on the, the intro to Brick House or um, when when the time came out with 777, that funky drum beat they had, you know, just so just things like that. I kind of gravitated toward listening and stuff like that. Yeah, I think if you would have come up a decade earlier, maybe you would have stayed more with the horns because they were so prevalent in the 70s, but in the 80s, the synthesizers kind of pushed them to the side a little bit. Right, definitely. Yeah. So I had to pick up a keyboard as opposed to, you know, my yeah. horn. Yeah, mm -hmm. you got to roll with it, you know, and you guys yeah. did for sure. What was it like when you guys first connected? You know, what were rehearsals like? How did you guys mesh, you know, personality-wise? Uh, you know, we were exploring, so uh, we were kind of in between playing the top 40 stuff. And when I met these guys, they were kind of just writing their own stuff as well. So we were in the exploration phase of our music. Um, and so from there, you know, I was open to it. So I was pretty much following. Again, I had that background where the foundation was already there with certain instruments. So when it came to writing, you know, I kind of put myself in a, a following mode as opposed to being a leader. As a matter of fact, you know, in high school, I was always first chair. So I, I got to say, <laughs> I always took first chair. So, you know, to take a back seat was um, not even a challenge. You know, I, I wanted to learn. So yeah, I took a back seat and just followed these guys. Yeah, for me, it was a passion for music. And, um, you know, I used to write with Melvin and the lead singer and Gordon, the guitar player. It was just a passion I had to produce and write music, you know, like, because I play by ear. 
So I would hear something, a melody or something. I would just try to play it. And then I would have somebody to play the keyboard, play that part. And since I was into the passion of melodies and big drum sounds, we I just gelled good when I first met Melvin and Al Gordon. We just started recording music. I was using the Lendron back then, the Roger Lendron that Prince used. You know, so that got my creative juices going by using that drum machine and just the passion for it. Yeah. Well, so you adapted also, I mean, because the electronic drums were also like the horns were going to the side, the regular drums right. again, pushed the side a little bit. Yeah, um, that land drum. Yeah. Plus, I, I think, you know, what we were able to j- to do naturally was allow each other's expertise to kind of just reign, whatever that was. Uh, you know, I brought vocals along with Melvin. Um, Gerald, of course, his his rhythms uh gordon he was you know an ace on the guitar so we allowed each other to kind of just bring that expertise into the fold into the sound between greg myself john gerald melvin and gordon and how did things develop before you know we came to know the group through the debut album um how did things develop in terms of you know a demo getting getting signed that kind of stuff so yeah, once we we start writing and practicing what we wrote, we decided to go into the studio. Uh, we took our little money. Um, I contributed like ten dollars because I was still in high school, so that's <laughs> yeah, all I too. had. <laughs> uh, but Gordon and Melvin they paid the bulk of it with their um, their uh, open house money, and we went in and cut like five records and. Uh, for a time, nothing actually happened. You know, we cut the records and, you know, we were excited about it, but time kind of set in. I, I would say a few months went by and Gordon decided that maybe we should go uh, have Mojo, who's a DJ uh, in Detroit, have him listen to it and see if, if we can get it played on the air since he played whatever he wanted to play. And he was not subject to, you know, like the playlists uh, that that DJs are normally subject to. So, you know, they took it up to him. Um, they stumbled upon him. So we were kind of lucky in that respect. And he he saw, the, you know, at least three of us and played the stuff and liked it. So he put it on the air. And then the phones kind of lit up. He he basically introduced us as the mystery group. So he played <laughs> yeah. tonight, tonight, and uh, the the song uh, the the phones lit up from there. And so he he saw that type of potential in us and told us he was going to make us international. So you know he hooked us up with his attorney, uh, entertainment attorneys, and from there they helped us create a label, release the record get signed with a major, you know, after being shopped, you know, for a few months, we we were signed to MCA. And we did that because we, in Detroit, we started getting in, you know, whoever was number one, we got in their way. So uh, that's how we we caught the attention of the record label. We did a showcase for the record labels and we went with Universal, which was, was MCA back then, but yeah, we had to do a showcase. Were you guys nervous or were you like, hey, we're going to kick some butt? Ready to kick some butt. 
I just yeah, said it for myself. Yeah. I wasn't nervous at all. It was ready to kick some butt. No. It, it was we hungry. Nervous. Exactly. Was hungry. And, and not only that, I mean, we were, I mean, we were doing what we were accustomed to, you know, mm-hmm. be it playing someone else's music or playing our own. We were well-versed. So we weren't nervous at all. How much did you work uh, up into to that point on your stage presence and your presentation? You know, not at all. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what we did was we learned talent how to shows. play well, you know. Right. And, and so through talent shows, of course, if you play the hit song, people, I mean, they're going to love you anyway. So we always chose right. the hits to play. Um, but as far as stage show, we we weren't we weren't there yet. To be honest right. with you, and we had to get there. Yeah, right. artist yeah, development. Get there quick. Yeah, had to go through artist development classes. Yeah. What was your reaction when you guys got the MCA deal? <sighs> um, optimistic, excited, um, unbelievable. Yeah, I and couldn't believe it. Plus, plus, uh, you know, for me. It was something where, you know, now we really have to, you know, bring it. So, you know, although we were very optimistic, it was time to really bring it and and be consistent with it as well. So, yeah, we were definitely excited, though, you know, meeting, you know, these other acts that were on the label, like New Edition. Uh, guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Jody Watley was she, was those before or? No, no. Jody Watley was on there and there was a. We went to New York. They they uh, sent us out to New York. Uh, I can't remember. She had the number one R and B record at the time, but I can't remember. The Jets, right? They were on. Yeah, the Jets were on on the label. They came after us. Um, Man, I can't remember that 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 lady's name at the the top. Patty Labelle. No, no, she was. No, she was with someone else. I can't remember either. So. You get the deal, and you have five songs. You said, right? We cut five songs as as demos. And what five? Did all five of those make the first record? No. <laughs> so uh, let's see. We cut. These are the titles of the songs: "Oh Sheila," "Tonight," "Deep Inside Your Love," "Ceramic Girl," "Ceramic Girl," and "Drive 55." Oh, I'm sorry. Do you get enough? I'm sorry. So six songs. Yeah. All right. And, and I think "Do You Get Enough" didn't. I, that it made hit it. The second Drive album. fifty. Drive fifty five didn't make it. Right. Drive fifty five didn't make it. "Do You Get Enough" hit the second album, not the first. Correct. Right. So, of the six songs, four four made the first album. That's pretty good average, I would say. Yeah. We're really it off is. and running. Yeah. Um, did you recut those or, you know, it wasn't the demo version? Yes. Right? Yes. We, we had to recut them because of the quality, something about the quality. Um, and once we began recutting them, we were missing the mark, according to our, our attorneys. So <laughs> they sent us back to where we originally recorded the songs, Bernard Terry in Flint, yeah, Michigan. Resting. Rest yeah. in peace, Bernard Terry. Yes, yes, sir. Um, so he was he was the genius behind the sound, behind what mm-hmm. we got out um, of ourselves. He was it. So once we went back to him, recut the stuff, 
you know, then it, it was all satisfactory. What was it about him that you think, what did he bring to it that helped that sound gel? I, I think between See. him and us, it was, first of all, you know, he, what, he his background was also band. You know, he was in a band at, uh, he, he did the sound engineering in his band. So he kind of knew the dynamics of, of music. And then right. in a closed studio setting, you know, he was just that expert, especially on his own equipment. Right. So, uh, I, yeah, he was definitely that engineer behind it, the sound that we brought out. And so between him and us, because we did fight at times on how loud a snare should be or, yeah, you know, how much to yeah, or how much load. punch to put on something, you know, because, of, right. you know, he's thinking, you know, logically that it's going to start to impact the speaker and, and get beyond a certain decimal. Right. Uh, well, decimal. you won't hear it on the radio. You won't hear the kick if you do it at this decimal. You got to have this decimal. It's just it was a lot of stuff. Right. Right. But he was technical like that. He was so technical. Right. Which, which is good, good because we 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 um, we learned a lot from him. Uh, we, we did play tug of war because, you know, our thing was, let's just do what we feel. And he was like, no, right. you got to do it within these bounds. <laughs> so it was, it was cool. How old were all of you when you got the deal? Uh, I, was 18, seven, I was 18. Yeah. 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 We both were 18. I'm sorry. We were 17 when we cut the stuff and, you know, released our first record. But um, when we cut the deal, we were 18. And um, Gerald, you dropped out of college to do that? Uh, yeah, I had to make the decision to leave Grambling. It was a good, great decision. I would do it again. <laughs> did, your, did, your, did your parents uh, feel that way? Not at first. My mom understood. But, you know, my dad felt, you know, I should have stayed. But after things start rolling, he started seeing a success. And, you know, that was my, you know, gift and my passion for music. He realized it was, you know, I made a good decision to go ahead and live my dream, live what I was, you know, was born to do. What were you guys thinking aspirationally? Were you thinking like we want to be like the next time or we want to be like the next cameo or we want to be like the next whoever? I was just humble. I wasn't trying to be like anybody. I was just humble. The fact that we made it and was out there touring with Luther Vandross and all these, you know, high-profile uh, artists. So for me, I've always been just humble. I just, I never uh, got that big of a head like I want to be as big as Michael Jackson or big as Prince. It was just good to be in that limelight, living my dream. And, and for me, I would say, although I am humble, I think in whatever you are in, you need to have that competitive edge and sometimes being a little selfish is having that competitive edge. So with that, you know, no, we, uh, you know, we looked at who was the biggest group ever. And I think it was the Beatles at the time. So we wanted to be better than the Beatles. Um, and because I was always again in music, I wanted to be on top first chair. And so that's what I was gunning for. Whoever was number one, you know, I wanted to top them. As far as 
you know, Minneapolis influence though, you know, did you guys consciously uh, integrate that into your sound and your music or was it just natural, a natural thing that happened or, you know, how did your sound come coalesce into what it was? For me, it was just natural, you know, from listening to the different princes and the time and cameo or Luther Vandross or Stevie Wonder, you know, it just, it was just in my head and that's just how it came out. Once I started messing with the drum machine, I wasn't, it wasn't intentionally. It was just a feel. I'd have to agree with that. I mean, we definitely had influences growing up. I think we had the advantage of the best two decades in music growing up, uh, the 70s and the 80s. And so uh, all those influences, the different genres, and we listened to them all, even rock and roll. Um, and we were able to grab something from all of that. And I think you hear that in the music even. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was that cross-pollination of all of these genres is, is how, and we weren't trying to mimic, you know, no one group or act. It was just, you know, it's something that came natural to us organically through the influences. Right. Yeah. Right. How much creative, it seems like you got a lot of creative freedom right out of the gate though, because you guys got production credit on the debut, right? Unless I'm mistaken. Right. Um, and being a self-contained band at that time in the mid eighties, it was starting to become a bit of a dying breed. So I was just so glad to see that part of it too, you know? Yeah, uh, that was a, a blessing, especially as, as we progress, we learn how, you know, these artists didn't get that flexibility. Um, and so I think that was attributed to the Gerald Busby's and the Lowell Solaces of the world who saw that in us and allowed us to be, be just that, uh, produce our own music. And we appreciate that too. What about in terms of, um, you know, single choices and things like that? I mean, um, did you guys have any say in like ballads, uh, coming first or. Uh, yeah, we all used to bump heads about that, you know, but it was, (laughs) you know, with, within the group you know but uh yeah it was us and then uh like he said loyal silas jr will put his two cents in and we just go from there and then when it goes top 10 it's hard to argue to the contrary right you're right yeah that's correct (laughs) (laughs) um so you had two hits before oshila was like the third single right right oshila was the third single Tonight was the first release. We originally released that on um, our label called Blue Lake Records. Specifically in the Midwest region. And once we got signed, MCA picked it up and and took it uh, top five R&B. Were you guys thinking all all along that Oshila had the potential to just really be a hit or or did it catch you off guard a little bit for me uh, it I, felt good go ahead go ahead go ahead Willie. yeah I, you know i just felt confident about everything we put out you know i, I thought that yeah. we had something that chemistry that we had the sound I, you know i just felt real good about it so i had no doubt in any material that we we released 
right? It just felt great. It felt good in the room. It felt, it sounded great, you know, sonically. And you could dance to it. You could make love to it. It was just, it just sounded timeless. Like, you know, you can hear it from years to years. That's how I felt about it. How did each of you feel when you first heard your song on the radio? Like the first time? Like a kid in a candy store. I was excited. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember a, what I was, was doing. I, I was playing basketball uh, at a, a friend's house in their backyard at the time when I first heard the song on the radio. So, yes, I was very excited. I had to stop playing basketball. I was so excited. And that, that's one of my favorite sports. <laughs> did did you have to tell bystanders hey that's me or uh did they already know uh no <laughs> i mean we were we were sort of popular in in the flint area through the talent shows already so uh they you know folks knew us right and gerald you mentioned going out with luther and i'm sure that must have been a huge thrill um, how soon did you do that? You know, I mean, was the record, were you guys already into Oshili yet or was it before that? Luther was our very, very first um, tour. He called us and wanted us to be his opening act. So that happened right out the gate. So that was a blessing. Right out the gate, we turned with Luther for eight, eight to nine months a year. Right. So, so we discovered that we didn't have the showmanship necessary until we got that <laughs> call so we had to go to work you know <laughs> right yeah and he luther's a perfectionist with what he does so oh my god yes absolutely the sound everything yeah yeah we learned a lot, a lot on that tour for sure sure did from him from the band engineering wise i mean just the whole gamut yeah I must have been a thrill, though. I'm sure it was like a blur, right? That was a blur. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, it's like you got to pinch yourself sometimes, and that was yeah. one of those times. Yeah. Tina Marie, <laughs> you know, even watching Tina Marie shows with her, that was like amazing. Love Tina Marie. Such a uh, all-around talent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so sad. Both of them are, are, are not with us anymore, but um, right. man, such great yes. music they left us with. Mm -hmm. um, so did you guys break away from Luther at some point and start headlining or, I mean, you were having so many hits, you must've started headlining some shows, right? We didn't headline until our second album. Um, so we did a lot of uh, doing, uh, going on tour uh, we toured with the Gap Band, Luther, of course, the Gap Band, um, Cool in the Gang. Uh, we did a lot of spot dating, that sort of thing. Uh, our second album was when we actually headlined, and that was with uh, Bobby Brown. Uh, he right. was on that Girlfriend album at the time, so that was just before he jumped off. Uh, yeah, we did like, a, I want to say like a maybe a 15 to 20 city tour. And I got to mention for the viewers um, that Oshila is in the record books, I believe, for number one simultaneously, right? Right. The Guinness Book of World Records. Yes. 
So you've done your homework. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an impressive feat that still stands, I think. So yes, yes. Uh we we made it in the Guinness Book of World Records, uh, the first group to ever go number one across the board, four separate charts, dance, pop, R and B, and video. So we're very proud, very proud of that feat. Did you guys have fun with the videos? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean that yeah. the first video was oh Sheila. That was the first video we ever did. So yeah. uh, you know, if but you ever that saw a, that video. That video was really simple. It was in the club. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was at New Jersey, yeah. right? Yeah, New Jersey. It yeah. was shot in the club. If you look at that, that was a club we were in. So yeah, that was a yeah. It was a very small club too. So <laughs> that's why you see a lot of close ups. <laughs> Right. How'd you guys decide on the look, you know, with the jerry curls and just your whole um, presence and image? The we curl was to, just our look. Yeah. Okay. yeah we, but the curl was our do look. What was in. And the yeah. curl was in at the time. So uh, we wanted to be relevant, of course. So, and, and we wanted that suit look. You know, we had a lot of other acts doing different things. I think the time definitely had a suit look as well. So, um, yeah, we, we just wanted to be a, like sophisticated looking. <laughs> so so that's where that look came from. Who ruled the, ruled the jerry curl? Um, Ray for the world <laughs> or, or, or full force? We're going we to let full force handle that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we should do a versus. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, now we're talking. When we see them, we go back and forth about that. You know, <laughs> who had the best Jerry curls? <laughs> Did you guys ever do any shows with them? Yes, yes. We we've oh, done yeah. we've done some shows with them. Yes. In fact, we did one as recent as in 2017. We were down right. in I want to say was it Savannah? No, it was uh, Augusta, Georgia. We did the show with them in Augusta. Those right. guys are funny. So, you know, every time oh, we Lou, see them, Lou is really funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We got some photos with him out there. It's cool. But yeah, they can have that ring. Best Jerry curls ever. <laughs> <laughs> got to do a versus, man. <laughs> so, when you guys were taking it to the stage and the young ladies were losing their minds, um, you know, were you guys prepared for that or, you know, did you try to stay grounded? I mean, how did you respond to that? I tried to stay grounded, but it didn't work because, you know, it was, <laughs> it was just temp temptation got the best of me. I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> and and for me, yes, I, I tried to stay grounded. Um, I, for the most, I was amazed, you know, at <laughs> how, you know, <laughs> I was truly amazed, but. I definitely try to stay grounded because I, that's just the type of person I am. I'm kind of um, withdrawn, uh, reserved, should I say. So I kind of maintain that um, on the road as well. When, when, when we off stage, I'm headed to the hotel, you know, I stuff like that. <laughs> I had a lot of fun. I well, we know, we know how fun. we know how drummers are, Gerald. <laughs> Uh, I was safe though. I kept myself safe though, protected. Um, no TVs thrown out hotel windows, I hope. 
Nah, uh, nah. I might have walked. We did some crazy. I walked outside on the edge of a hotel before I did that. Before. That was that was risky. I didn't think about it though. I didn't think of it. It was just something crazy. Yeah, we've had some crazy moments out on the road. <laughs> some real crazy moments. So if if I would have been in the studio with you guys, um, cutting the first record or the second record even, um, what might I have seen in, in terms of how you guys went to work in the studio? You would you would see us in a well versed mode such that we don't waste no time in the studio. Now we understand that creativity happens in the studio, but we got to come in there knowing our stuff. You know, we're cutting the track. We know our parts. We're not necessarily writing in the studio. We're recording in the studio. So that's probably the difference between what happens now and then. Uh, I I get into a studio, to the studio with a a bunch of guys today, and they want to go in and write, and they want to feel good, and they want to have some something, you know, be it weed or some drink to make them right. relaxed, you know? So it's, it's a lot different today right. than it was, you know, back then, but yeah, we came yeah. in first. We did pre-production. Right. So we produced it, you know, and then went in there and finished it up in the studio, but we always did pre-production. And what about Definitely. the um, composition part of it? You know, uh, how did that come together and how did you decide what would make the cut? <laughs> bumping well, heads again yeah <laughs> because you know i think the cre- more more of the creativity happened in the mix in the mixing and so you know putting things you know, that's where we yeah we bumped heads and we kind of played tug of war with with bernard so you definitely would have witnessed that and then as far as making the cut we would just go back and live with the songs let other people hear them and, right. uh, you know, just to see what the reaction would be, how we're feeling about it. And then we come together and, and you know, decide on what's what. Which member was the most stubborn? <laughs> Always the least singer. Yeah. <laughs> I think it was, it's between Melvin and Gerald. Gerald was a bit on the stubborn side. You know, when it came to you know what he he's putting in the song you know he he really didn't want to move on he wasn't as flexible you know and melvin definitely wasn't flexible so you know yeah some of the tug of warring came in there inflexible uh it them being not so flexible i think for instance for instance i'll give you an example so uh, the drum machine, the Lynn drum. Uh, Gerald wanted, you know, he turned the thing all the way down, almost all the way down. And that's what he felt in, in terms of the snare. And that's why you hear it like that, because Bernard didn't necessarily want it that low. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, Gerald won out because, you know, that's that's the type of guy he is. Uh, so he won out in that respect, and and it paid off because that was one of the identifiable parts of that song is that low snare in the side stick. Mm-hmm. So then was he like, "I told you, 
<laughs> no, I would never do that. I'm too humble. And he was, he was just doing what he felt. You know, we understood right. that as well. But um, you know, I'm I'm a technical guy, so I was more so on Bernard's side. You know. <laughs> <laughs> were, were there any like uh, lessons learned from that first record that you kind of brought to the second one? Yeah, sound. For our sonic wise, sonically what you're hearing. Yeah. We learned that how we to stack, can, stack right, layers you can, of vocals. Yeah, yeah. We we definitely learned recording wise, we learned, and we also learned that you can um lose a mix you can lose a song in the mix right so you know we have to be real careful and make sure that everybody is on board with uh you know how we're proceeding you know on a particular mix there's much more to this great truth and rhythm interview just continue on to the next part of the episode also be sure to subscribe to this channel if you've already done so please share it with friends and become a member by joining Truth and Rhythm on Patreon or consider donating at funkinstuff.net. Thank you very much.